You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. I want to go to Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be today in our text. Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 10. Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 10. Jesus is speaking here. He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. From the slums of India to the schools in China, the Lord hears our prayers. From the cathedrals of France to the orphan in the orphanage, the Lord hears our prayers. From the huts in Africa to the mother longing for a child, the Lord hears our prayers. From the student in class to the dad working check to check, the Lord hears our prayers. From the barefoot to the clothed, from the hungry to the fed, the Lord hears our prayers. There is no boundaries. There is no barrier when it comes between you and the Lord in prayer. Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. He hears our prayers, church. Those who have been made right before God like a groom waiting to hear his bride's voice, like a father waiting to hear his child's voice call out daddy for the first time, could there be a sweeter sound? Today, our text unfolds on the hills overlooking a magnificent view of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to ask Peyton to go to the first slide as we look at this map. This map is a a macro view a bird's eye view of where our text is unfolding. If you see the Sea of Galilee, it's at the very top there, in between Syria, Lebanon, and Nazareth. Then go to the next slide, and it's going to give us a micro view that where that red dot is where the Sermon on the Mount unfolded. And then I found a picture of the next one. Is This is his actual picture of where it took place. Very beautiful. As the Sermon on the Mount unfolded in today's text over this magnificent view of the Sea of Galilee. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, Jesus saw the crowds and went up on this mountain and sat down. Jesus saw the crowds, went upon this mountain and sat down. Once again, we see another picture painted of a man with compassion. A picture of a true shepherd caring. Our text last week brought us to Jesus Christ reclining at the table. And now we have Jesus going to the crowds of the fields. Are we observing this, church? 
Are we watching our Savior and understanding how He is ministering to the people? And as He begins to teach in Matthew chapter 5, He looks at the Sermon on the Mount. He speaks of the, those who are blessed in the Beatitudes. And then He teaches about how we are sought and light. Once again, take note of this demonstration because He was attracted to this crowd and He found a seat with them to teach truth. Our Savior, who we observe, found a seat in the middle of the crowd to teach truth. Truth always brings tastefulness to the conversation in the long run. They may not want to hear it now, but they love and respect it later. Truth parades hope. We need to be a people that has true hope. And there are people who need to hear true hope. And we must defend truth at all costs. But to know truth, as we learned last week, we must observe it. We must keep it. And we must watch over it. And then prior to our passage, Jesus moves into explaining that He came to fulfill the law. That is real good news. And then He gets into some very practical things. He'll discuss anger. He'll discuss lust. He'll discuss divorce, oaths, retaliation, and then how we are to love our enemies. And then we are in chapter 6. He talks about giving to the needy. We'll return back to that passage later on in this sermon series. But then Jesus steps into the Lord's prayer. As He looks amongst the crowd to His disciples, He begins to speak about how to pray. And as I was reading the text this week, I found it a bit humorous because He elaborates about prayer amongst the time when public prayer is very popular within the Jewish religious, religious people. Prayer was a pillar for the Jewish. Public prayer specifically said aloud in the mornings, and still today happens, in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening time. And like in today's church, it's all too familiar that we find Christians who do not understand prayer. Christians who do not understand how to pray, when to pray, what is prayer. And more specifically, our text and concern that people misunderstood the Lord's Prayer thinking that it was supposed to be this magnificent mystic approach and method and that the words themselves have some specific power or influence over God. It is important that as we look at this prayer that we understand the heartbeat, the model. The Lord's Prayer retains the standard origins by which our prayer should consist of. The pattern we are not to be robots reciting lofty words over and over. We are to be a people who recite words from the flowing of our hearts. Our hearts to God the Father. Our hearts to Jesus, the great high priest. There's no in-between there. We have direct communication. Our hearts to the Holy Spirit, the great counselor. And Jesus called Him the Helper. We have this communication. It is our sustenance. It is our lifeline. It is our new nourishment to a Holy Father. And God burns for us to have an authentic posture and humility for His people to Him, His Holy Self. This pleases Him. He wants a genuine person with an authentic posture and humility to go before Himself, the Holy God. 
So we look at that first verse in, five, in our passage today. In verse 5, it says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And then he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you pray, when should we pray? Before we answer this question, I'd like to ask a second question. When do you pray? Not when should you, but when do you? I would be certain to guess that many of us return to our time of prayer when we need something. That is not wrong. Hear me. But too often we find ourselves in our moments of prayer of needing something from God. I will also tell you with a clear conviction that this approach to God as a consumer you are missing some of the sweetest moments of delight. To be able to sit with God the Father. Maybe you're rejoicing. Maybe you're weeping. Maybe you're just resting, sitting still. The psalmist in 37.23 in Psalms, he says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall be cast headlong but the Lord upholds His hand when He delights in His way. When you approach prayer this morning, church, do you seek delight with the Lord? Think about that. Could it be that simple? When you approach the Father in a moment of communication and communion, you simply look to Him for delight. Think of an everyday friendship. Though I know that we're discussing a relationship with a holy God, I would like to present this question to you. If there were two parties involved, a friend, two friends, family members, etc., would, would you be experiencing delight in this relationship if only one party found themselves to be consuming? You have that person, we've all called it that needy person, that person who's high maintenance, the person we love and wouldn't do life without, but you find yourself drained. Yeah, I've been that person, and I know those people. I believe we're all guilty of that. We've got to learn that healthy prayer with the Heavenly Father is balanced. And this balance is displayed by genuine confession from the heart. Our Father welcomes and He works with a genuine confession. That genuine confession at some point in your life will display praises. That genuine confession will display and cry out for a need to be met. For healing to happen. He is a father and he wants to meet those needs. But let's return back to that first question. When should we pray? The Apostle Paul sums it up very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. It says, rejoice to delight. We've learned that word before. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for 
you. Paul is suggesting here that we are to have a mindful understanding all the day long and being in prayer. The ESV Study Bible says it this way, that we are called to a continual personal fellowship with God and be aware of being in His presence throughout the day. Prayer does not cease. You are in this continual communion with the Father. Whether it's behind the wheel, exercising self-control, or it's on your knees at night or in the morning when the children go to bed or before they wake. Taking a test or working, you are in this constant devotion to God in prayer. Once again, we see this mark of a true Christian, a true Christ follower. A devoted follower of Christ walks in the day in light of their relationship with Christ. And this light gives life to those to all of those who call out to Him as Lord. If you find yourself, church, with the ability to turn off your relationship with Christ in front of crowds that you're aiming to please, hear me. Repent. Cry out to God for mercy. Plead with Him to turn on your relationship for the first time. Prayer never ceases. You can't turn it off. We cannot deny this any longer. We see this model demonstrated all throughout Scripture that people are going to the stake for the sake of Christ. Can we be a church who demonstrates this kind of devotion? I believe we are headed that way. As I looked in our text and I observed our church, we are headed that direction. But first, we need to get serious about this calling and learn to pray. This is a conviction that is sticking with the elders and it starts at the top. We've talked over it the last few weeks. And as we present it to you, we, Jesus says it and later in verse 5 that we should not be like the hypocrites. We should not be like the hypocrites. Who are the hypocrites? They were the religious Jews. For a certain time of day, they would stand in the synagogues, the street corners, and some would pray in secret, but many would display an exaggeration. They wanted to be seen. Jesus is speaking against their motives, not their practice. Remember that. Jesus didn't condemn all public prayer. There's a place for us to pray here as a church and in groups and by ourselves. He condemned the self-centered intentions of these religious people. The motive stems from the heart. He says, I truly, truly I say to you, they have received their reward and their reward at most was public praises and position. At most. People would put these religious people on pedestals. That's not too far from today's culture and church. Don't fall into that category. Jesus' number one concern was the person's central motivation. And the good news here is that the Father has the desire to reward you specifically. The Father has the desire to reward you specifically. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will 
rewards you. Go into your room and shut the door. There's a very simple, simple truth here. Though righteous public prayer, hear that, righteous public prayer has its value, but private, private prayer allows the individual or group to fully focus on God. He's giving you a very practical advice here. Get along. Focus on God when you pray. And when you go to pray in secret, pray to the Father. Mark 1.35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place. And there He prayed. There He prayed. Jesus. So observe the life of Jesus here. Matthew 14.23 And after He dismissed the crowds, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. And when evening came, He was there alone. Luke 6.12 One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus made communion with the Father a priority. That simple. Jesus made communion with the Father a priority. He spent time with the Father. When people were sick, when people were hurting, when people were needy, when people needed hope, prayer was the priority of Jesus. He must. That was His lifeline. As I said earlier, His sustenance, His nourishment, the Lord's prayer is His communication with the Father to align Himself with the Father's will. And I love how they mention the Father in this passage. Just in our passage today, it's mentioned three times. This makes us sons and daughters. When we cry out to a Father, we can't hear this enough. I know I can't. I just get it overwhelmed with it. That He's loved me. Does this ignite your heart to know that you are adopted? That He called you forth and claimed you as child? You are mine. Not all we hear or will experience this wondrous family. This stirs a gratefulness in me to be a part of what God is doing. But it also stirs in me an urgency as well to go. We must tell people about our Father. J.I. Packer has a quote in this book that I'll reference a little bit later. It says, As God's adopted, we are loved no less than is the one who God called Himself a beloved Son. He loves us like He loves His Son, Jesus. Let that resonate. Let it sink in. You are loved. You need to hear that today. You are loved. Let it stir a meek confidence that you are in Christ and we move in Christ. As we look at verse 7, it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. In verse 7 and 8, Jesus clarifies two do nots. 
First, he says, do not heap up empty phrases. And secondly, he says, do not be like them. Can I get any more clear? I want to exaggerate on that first part. Do not heap up on empty phrases. Jesus is pointing out the issue of pointless phrases. He's pointing out these pointless, mindless, mechanical repetitions. Why? Because pagans of this time would repeatedly lift up the names of their gods and and the same words over and over without thinking what they're saying. Once again, God wants honesty. He wants honesty from our hearts through sincere prayer. And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. He knows what we need before we ask this right here. Once again, the sovereignty of God. He knows what we need. Look at Matthew chapter 6, 25-26. Same chapter, just a few passages over. 25-26, through 26, and then we'll jump to 32-33. through 33. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, for you will... Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Then look at, skip to 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all things will be added to you. Our Father knows what we need before we ask. Do you trust that? Do you trust that when you approach Him in prayer to find a life? Remember the words that Jesus spoke in that passage in 36, 32-33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Just remember that. We'll get back to it. In verse 9 it says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Our Father in heaven, that word Father in Aramaic means Abba. Aramaic was the everyday language spoken by Jesus in that day. And the word Abba was used by Jewish children. found this interesting. When they would call to their fathers. The important notation here is the idea of calling a holy God, Father. This conveys the authority. This conveys warmth. This conveys intimacy of a loving Father's care. Our Father. We see this common picture again. Christ representing God in flesh here on earth, reclined at the table. He sat along the mountainside and He was approachable. And He began began this prayer. We see God who desires to be called a Father. What a beautiful design that flows into our lives now as my Son calls me Father. Remember, last week we learned that we we're naturally designed to be devoted. There's not one act that I believe will come more natural than prayer. When you need something, oh God help me. How quick is it? It's very quick. We're very quick when we find ourselves needing something. But we're not so quick 
to sit, rest, and find life. He calls out our Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, to be set apart, to honor as holy. Father, holy God. That should change the way you approach prayer altogether. A Father who is holy. This is who we pray to. This is who we have access to by the blood of Jesus Christ. A holy God who rules the heavens. Revelations. I'm going to turn there and read to you. Revelations chapter 4. 1 through 11. Remember, Father, hallowed be thy name, this holy God that we have access to by the blood of Jesus Christ. Visualize as I read this. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper, and around the throne was rainbow, and had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and, and peals of thunder. And before the throne there were burning seven torches of fire, which are seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, there were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like a creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And they, by night, they never cease to say that word cease again they never cease to say holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and they cast their crowns before the throng, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We have access to this holy God. We can find ourselves delighting. Do you? In verse 10 it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. This is a direct call to action. As you pray this and you model this prayer, the original origins of this prayer that God has given us, 
this should come to mind. Your kingdom come. A call to action that we are to see the kingdom of God advance daily in our lives, locally and globally. For this to happen naturally, we must awake and surrender. Take up our cross daily and follow Christ. When Christ reigns in our hearts and lives, He will advance His kingdom. There's no question about that. It will come natural. And when we obey His commandments, we reflect His love. And when we love each other, we display the love of the Father to us. According to Matthew 6.33, those who seek the kingdom of God will receive all they need here on earth. Remember that passage, that scripture we read? 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. And we see that word kingdom come up again. Do you see the kingdom of God advancing in your life? How often do we find ourselves inward? Focusing so hard to find rhythm in our life. To try to make it perfect before we start influencing others. I'm here to testify it's not going to happen. That's perfection. And we've said before, if perfection exists, sanctification does not. God works through our faults, our shortcomings, our strengths to edify one another. If you want to see the kingdom of God come alive in your life, you're going to have to open it up. That's not natural for many of us to be vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, you open that up to people you trust in the church. And you do life together. You work together. Let's see the kingdom come here. Let's see it come in your life. I hope that's a desire of yours this morning. And lastly, your will be done. And we'll stop here today. Your will be done. You'll have to join us next week or online if you don't come next week. This question may be the most common question of them all amongst the church. What is God's will for my life? How many times have we heard that? How many times have we wrestled with this? The reason I wanted to stop there because I wanted to give it the time that it, I need to explain the, the will of God. But something to think through this week. Understanding God's will clearly defines what we are to do as Christians in all platforms that we've been given. Understanding God's will will give you a clear definition of what we are to do as Christians in all platforms we have given. So in closing, the Lord's Prayer pertains the standards by which our prayer should consist of. Remember, look at the heartbeat. Look at the motive. Jesus wasn't calling out the practices. He was calling out their intentions. Let the Spirit of Christ call you out. Are you seeking delight in your time with the prayer? Secondly, God burns for this authentic posture and humility from His people to His holy self. Holy God, we have access 
As we read in Revelation, I don't know if that picture just kind of came to mind as we read. So many times I've just thought about that. How magnificent. But then, third point here is that healthy prayer with the Heavenly Father is balanced. There's a time to seek need. But there's a time to rest in delight. And experience the presence of the Father alone, in secret. God wants to hear that genuine confession from your heart. And He welcomes this confession. And He will work with it. On that note, like I said, I would take reference to this book. If you're looking to purchase a book, 10 bucks, it's Jai Packer, Prayer, Praying the Lord's Prayer. As I was reading through it, and you see cards next to you, if you would like to grab it, feel free to. He mentions distinctive prayer activities. He mentioned seven distinctive prayer activities. And I made it where you can slide it into your Bible. Uh, fix stick it in your wallet if you need to. Use this, if you would, as a, as a tool, resource to really just, I know one of the questions that come across the board, how can I make my prayers deeper? I want to encourage you to start here with this. As we look here, we need to approach God in adoration. Acknowledge His work and worth. Admit sin and seek pardon. Ask for needs to be met. Argue with God for blessing and understanding. Accept from God's one own situation as He has shaped it. And adhere to God in faithfulness through thick and thin. And if you get this book, that's found on page 17. Jesus made, fourth point here, Jesus made communion with the Father a priority. We are to observe our Savior. If we are to do that and watch His ways, do we make prayer a priority? When Christ reigns in our hearts and lives, He will advance His kingdom through us. We're going to stop there today. Prayer is a mark of a devoted follower of Christ. Prayer is a lifeline. God wants you, where you are, to be genuine. There's a desire and a model we see and a design that our prayers are to be confessed to our priest, Jesus Christ, but also to His church, to help. This part's easy, vertical. Being vertical with Christ is easy. But being horizontal and honest with the church it's hard. Will we learn to be a church that's devoted to prayer? Let's pray.